Luke 24, 44 to 53. Hear the word of the Lord. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 1555, Nostradamus wrote a number of verses, and those became quite famous because over the years, people have considered them to be predictions of coming events. And according to some, uh, these, these lines of Nostradamus re, uh, predicted the death of Henry II, the Great Fire of London, uh, the French Revolution, Louis Pasteur, Adolf Hitler, Charles de Gaulle, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, the assassinations of John and Robert Kennedy, and of course, 9-11. Now, uh, scholars and skeptics have looked at these and pointed out that the verses have been translated very badly into other languages, and they are very vague, uh, and that they don't really fit the events. But other than that, these are great predictions, right? Um, there are, however, some writings that did predict coming events, and those events were fulfilled. And we have those writings before us today. Those writings are the writings of the Old Testament. And what we have here in the text we read at the conclusion of Luke is Jesus' commentary on the Old Testament, telling us what the Old Testament was about, telling us what it predicted, and how those predictions were fulfilled. And so that's what we see today in his parting instruction in this gospel. Now, basically what he said, the, the, the main message is, I fulfilled the Old Testament. That's what he tells the disciples. I fulfilled the Old Testament. In verse 44, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of the prophets, I'm sorry, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, there's some interesting things about this declaration. He says, this is what I told you. So there's continuity between what Jesus said before his death and resurrection and after his death and resurrection. The, the message did not change. He says, this is what I told you before, and I'm telling you the same thing afterwards. Now, I want you to notice something here. He said, this is what I told you when I was still with you. And they might scratch their heads and say, aren't you with us? What do you mean when you were still with us? You, you are still with us. You're with us right now. But, but Jesus' speech implies that there is a dividing line here in his own ministry and in history. There was the time before the death and resurrection, and there is the time after the death and resurrection. And this is the, the dividing line, not only of Jesus' ministry. He's saying, when I was with you, and they say, well, aren't you with us now? But, but that was different. That was a before the death and resurrection. And now this is a 
after the death and resurrection. This is a new epoch. This is a new era in which new principles operate. There was the before, and now there is the after. Now all things are going to be different. Yes, I'm with you, but this is a new kind of being with you. And he says that everything about him must be fulfilled. And he says, in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. And this is fascinating because it seems to be referring to the three divisions of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, what Jewish people to this day call, using an acronym, the Tanakh. So in our in our letters, it would be T-N-K, and those refer to three parts of the Old Testament. And uh, the Tanakh is the T is Torah, so that's the law. The, the N is Nevi'im, which are the prophets. And then the K, our K would be the Ketuvim, or the, the writings. And those had a number of different sort of uh, books in them. Some that we would call history, some that we would call poetry, some that we would call prophecy. But in the writings, the biggest book of the writings is the Psalms. And so this is the only reference we have, as far as I can tell, in the New Testament to this threefold division that was traditional among the Jews, the Tanakh, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings uh, represented here by the Psalms. Now, that's interesting because Jesus is, is, is not just saying the Old Testament is about me. He's saying all three sections of the Old Testament are about me. The Torah is about me. The, the prophets are about me. The writings are about me as well. In other words, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament in its entirety. He said these things that were written about me had to be fulfilled. Now, um, then he went on to say how, how they were fulfilled. In verse 45, it said, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, that sounds supernatural, doesn't it? It sounds like somehow he kind of did something supernatural so that all of a sudden their minds were open. And that may be the case. But I think in this context, it, it, it means that he explained the scriptures to them. And I say that because if you look at verse 37, this is earlier, the same chapter 37 uh, it says that they were, I'm sorry, it's 30, 27, 27. He says, uh, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he's speaking to two of the disciples, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So on the way to Emmaus, he ran into two disciples and he he open their minds to understand the scriptures by doing what? By interpreting to them all that the scriptures say concerning himself. Then if you look at verse 32, they later, these two disciples, later reported, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So it may be that he did something supernatural so that their minds were open to understand. But I think more likely, or it, or in addition to what he did was, he, he explained the scriptures to them. He walked them through the scriptures. He walked them through the Tanakh. He walked them through the, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And what did he explain to them? He said there are three things. Three things that sum up what the Old Testament is about. So first he said there's one thing. The Old Testament is about me, referring to himself. And then he said, actually, there, there are three aspects of that. In verse 46, and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ, here's the first thing, should suffer. The second thing, 
on the third day, rise from the dead. And then the third thing, the second thing, rise from the dead. The third thing, repentance and forgiveness of sins, or actually it's repentance for forgiveness of sins, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So what's the Old Testament about? The simple answer is Jesus. And then if you want to be more specific, it is about his death. It is about his resurrection. And it is about the forgiveness of sins to all the nations. That's what the Old Testament is about. Now, Luke, Luke did not record specific texts. This is very cryptic here. He doesn't, Luke doesn't give us a list. Well, Jesus commented on Deuteronomy 13, 12, and then Jesus commented on Psalm 16, 4, and then Jesus commented on 2 Chronicles 32, 7. He, he didn't give us a list. And, and we're sort of left wanting, wanting the, the notes, aren't we? We're sort of left saying, well, well, you know, we'd really like to know how, how is it that, that the, the law, the prophets, and the, the writings point to your death? How is it that the, the law, the prophets, and the writings point to the fact that you're going to rise, we're going to rise again on the third day? How is it that, that the, the law, the prophets, and the writings point to the fact that repentance for forgiveness of sins is going to be preached to all the nations? Where? in the Old Testament, because we might read the Old Testament and say, well, we're not, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing that on the surface. Where is all this? Luke, why don't you give us some examples? Well, we're not left in the dark um, because as we're, as we're thinking about these classes that Jesus gave in biblical interpretation, he began with Moses, all the prophets. He interpreted in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He, their hearts burned within them while he talked to them on the road. He, he said that the, that the Christ would suffer, rise from the dead, repentance and forgiveness. And we're thinking, oh, I wish I could have been there. I, I wish I could have taken that class. I wish I could have at least had that recorded on the road to Emmaus. Those two disciples, if they would have just written it down, then we would have this, this amazing interpretation course that Jesus offered to them. But we weren't there and we, we missed out. But guess what? We didn't. We didn't miss out because then they and others went and wrote it down. And we have that where? In the New Testament. That's what the New Testament is. We didn't miss out. On the contrary, we have it recorded for us. And in the New Testament, what do you find? You find throughout the New Testament, there are quotations and allusions, scores or hundreds of quotations and allusions to the Old Testament. What do we have there? We have the, the disciples of Jesus and others passing on to us what they learned directly from him. And they're the ones who open our minds to understand the scriptures by instructing us with the same sort of instruction that Jesus gave to them. Now, Jesus didn't explicitly connect these three ideas here. He said, these are the three themes. The Christ should suffer, including his death. The third day rise from the dead. And repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. He didn't connect these explicitly. He didn't say what's the connection between the death, the resurrection, and the repentance for forgiveness of sins. Um, but the, it's clear that these all go together and that the first two are the reason for the third one that the, the death and the resurrection are the reason, the cause, the, the, the warrant 
for repentance for forgiveness of sins to be preached to all the nations. Uh, every once in a while, there's a, there was a, I guess it's called spoken word artistry. There's a, a video online, and every once in a while I, I watch this. And it's, it was done about 11 years ago, and it's called The Gospel in Four Minutes. And it's about a, a really cool guy with, with dreads down to his, his waist, and he's, he's, he's doing this spoken word interpretation, and he's explaining the gospel in four minutes using G-O-S-P-E-L, gospel, and he has an acronym. And uh, he, I couldn't repeat it for you but because he's really talented the way he does it, but I'm just going to, to show you, just read for you a few lines. And there, the, these lines connect well these ideas, the death, the resurrection, and the forgiveness of sins. In the middle of it, or towards the end of it, he says, clearly, since the only one who can meet God's requirements is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness, his death, function as payment. Yes, payment. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection we all cheered because the check cleared. And anyway, he goes on. But yeah, so I I love that. Every time I watch it, I get teared up. It's like, that's what happens. That's how these all fit together. Why do we cheer? He died, but he didn't just die. He rose. The check cleared. The payment was made. It was accepted. He is alive. It is over. And so, on the basis of that, repentance for forgiveness of sins can be preached to all the nations. And and what does it say? Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name. There's the summary. In His name. In the name of whom? In the name of the one who is God. In the name of the one who died. In the name of the one who rose again so that we could be forgiven. Now, it, it... it said here. It says here the, the the translation that repentance and forgiveness of sins, but actually, actually, uh, at least some manuscripts say repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now we ought to be careful about that because this is not penance. This is not doing things to try to gain forgiveness of sins. What is repentance? Repentance is turning from sin to God, and and turning from sin to God. That's that's a movement by which we receive forgiveness. We turn from the sin, we go to God and we say, forgive me in his name on the basis of what he did, on the basis of the fact that he died, that he rose again. Now, um, Jesus also fulfilled the Old Testament by sending the Holy Spirit. And and it says here um, that in verse 47, repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now, that should, that should stand out to us because this is, if we've been reading the Old Testament, we, we, we read about Jerusalem and we find that Jerusalem is the center of the world. It is, is the point to which all the nations must come in order to have salvation. And so it's basically salvation exists in Jerusalem and in Israel. And the nations are sometimes encouraged, sometimes held off when they didn't understand what they should be doing, the Israelites, but they were at least mildly encouraged to come and and look on and to see salvation, to behold it, and if they were interested by some difficult processes, they could become part of the people of God. But the idea was from the nations to Jerusalem, come and see, come and behold This is where God meets with his people. This is where God is. If you want to see what God is like, okay, you can come and you can see. 
But notice here it says, to all the nations from Jerusalem. So this is this is flipping things. This is changing the directions. This is a U-turn from the, the direction of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was come and see. Now it is wait and then go. Wait in Jerusalem and then go. But why why wait? Well, because something had to happen first. He says in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. Um, and there are different ways to punctuate this. It says, this translation says, forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. That beginning from Jerusalem could go with 48. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my father upon you. What's the promise of the father? Well, we learn later in Luke's companion volume that the promise of the father was the Holy Spirit. Now, let's put these things together. He opens up their minds so that they can understand the scriptures. If we're going to understand the scriptures, we need the gift of the Holy Spirit as well as the instruction of Jesus. If he has just given this this mandate to his disciples, and by the way, not just to his disciples, because because it is still the epic of after the death and resurrection. We are still in the same time frame as the disciples were. We're in that same era as the disciples were. And so that mandate for them is the same mandate for us. What did they need to get the gospel, this message of forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name? What did they need to get that to the nations? They needed the instruction of Jesus. They needed their minds open. And they needed the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that's the same power that we need and the same power that we have to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Stay, he said, stay in the city. Interesting. He said, I'm giving you this mandate to go to the ends of the earth, but the first thing you need to do is stay. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And if we keep reading in Luke's works, which is the Acts of the Apostles, we find in in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus sent the Spirit the spirit of Jesus. And what did they do? Immediately they became what? Witnesses. Witnesses to all the nations who were gathered in Jerusalem that day. And they went out to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Do you you, you ever reflect upon this fact? How unlikely it is that we would be Christians. We are so far away linguistically, culturally, historically, geographically from the epicenter of the gospel that it is nothing short of astounding that the gospel would have reached us. What's the explanation for that? Well, the explanation is that there have been witnesses throughout the ages who have been faithful. And the explanation of that is that the power of the Holy Spirit is sufficient to make us witnesses to declare the gospel to the ends of the earth. They needed to wait for the Spirit. But in order for them to wait for the Spirit, or rather, I should say, in order for Jesus to send the Spirit, they had to wait, but he had to go. He had to go. And this is the the final connection here of these events. In verse 50, it says, so verse 49, wait. Stay in the city till you're clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. 
while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. This is the ascension. And it's interesting that while while throughout the New Testament, they either proclaim the ascension of Christ to the right hand of God the Father, or they assume the ascension of Christ, but Luke is the only one who records the ascension of Christ as an historical event. He records it at the end of Luke. He records it at the beginning of Acts as well. And here's the record, and it's very simple. He parted from them. Why did he part from them? Well, he told his disciples back in, or in John, uh, in John chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So they had to stay. He had to go. And they obeyed. They obeyed. And that's what we get at the very end of Luke. He parted from them, was carried up into heaven, then verse 52. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. What did they do? They waited and they rejoiced and they worshipped. And already we're sensing a transformation in these disciples, aren't we? We sense another one that's dramatic when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and acts. But we already see a, a new understanding of things, don't we? Sandy just asked me this morning, she said, how long was it after this? Was Pentecost? Was, it, was Pentecost 50 days? And we talked about that. She said, well, what were they doing? And I said, well, funny you should ask. It's in our text today. What were they doing? They were rejoicing. They were worshiping. And they were waiting. They were no longer hiding in the upper room. They were no longer in fear. It was a new era. The death and resurrection had occurred. Jesus had ascended to the Father and they were waiting for this final act, the sending of the Holy Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit came, they became witnesses to the ends of the earth, even as far as Pompano Beach, Florida in 2020. So what's the takeaway here? Well, three takeaways. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, all of it, by dying and rising again. Number two, forgiveness of sins is available to all who will turn from sin to God with faith in Jesus. That's good news. And, and, it is our responsibility to get this good news in the power of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Our God, we cheer because the check cleared. The payment accepted, the payment sufficient. And all has been done for us to have the forgiveness of all of our sins and for us to be witnesses to the nations with the power of the Spirit and the understanding that Jesus gives. Lord, thank you that the gospel has reached even to us. That's remarkable that it's gotten even to us. What an amazing manifestation of your mercy that we today would be calling on the name of Jesus.
But there are many around us who don't know Jesus yet. There are many in different parts of the world that don't know Jesus. So Lord, we pray that you would enable us in the power of the Spirit with the understanding of the the word given by Jesus to tell others this good news of the forgiveness of sins for all who will believe in Jesus. We pray in his name.